Okay, well, welcome. Uh, whoever may be listening right now, and, and Saket, it's always really nice to be here with you. Just for a little bit of context for anyone that may be listening in, Saket and I are publishers, teachers on the Insight Timer meditation app. And we met through experiencing each other's work and feeling kind of a connection to each other and uh, reached out and we've been talking recently, just um, having some time every week or so to discuss whatever comes up. And each time that we've met, or actually this has been a recent occurrence, we decided to maybe begin with uh, a period of just sitting in silence together, then just kind of seeing what manifests and unfolds after that. So we're going to start with that today, and we might continue doing that each time that we meet. And we would ask if you're willing and interested to spend a minute in silence with us, um, whatever it is that you're doing right now, just see if you might be able to pause and come back to really just what's happening in this moment with no other instruction than to just be aware of this present moment experience. Um, anything to add to that, Saka, before we... Hi, hi, Charles, and hi to all the listeners. And it has been wonderful to have these discussions with you, Charles. And I think it was a great idea to share these discussions and these meditations with, with the listeners. So I'm really excited to what comes through. So let's begin. Yeah. Sounds good. Okay, you'll hear a bell to start and end the one minute. Sure. Anything you notice in your present moment experience? Yes, I think uh, I noticed some sound in my background. <laughs> mm -hmm. And however, uh, it is like the monkey mind, which wants to focus on so many things in the environment. Uh, but I gradually managed to get my awareness back to the breath. And yeah, from there onwards, it was just the breath and just keeping my awareness on the breath. Mm. Yeah. I was just thinking about how that mind you're describing could attach to particular sense perceptions in different ways. Like for you, because I also had an experience of hearing the sound in your background. And for mm -hmm. me, it was kind of, it, it was in a very present way. Um, mm -hmm. I wonder, I guess my projection onto you is that that could be some thought about that sound happening and being some sort of distraction um, mm. that is impeding on this experience. And, mm. and then for me, it was kind of an object of, 
oh, like that's an interesting kind of sound. And that's mm-hmm. like a little anchor for my my present awareness. That's something that I noticed in my experience. Yeah, I think that's wonderful because uh, we, I think a lot of us have this habit of labeling things uh, and being ju- uh, judgmental about things. So we would listen to a noise sound and we would label it as cacophony or, you know, a disturbing <laughs> noise. However, then again, uh, the realization that uh, it's not. Uh, it's important to not judge, and it's important to just acknowledge the fact that okay, yes, there is a sound, but it's now my choice to either place my awareness on that sound without having that judgment, or right. maybe just bring uh, diverting my attention from there and bringing it bringing it to my breath, or to something else. Hmm. So yeah, I think uh, I noticed a, a kind of a judgment there, which still I have to work on. <laughs> Hmm. Yeah, it's made me think of how you described in meditation, like the last time we met about hmm. how we, we maybe start out with our, uh, I'm looking at my hands tied together now of like our, maybe our mind or our experience in our thinking. Hmm. And then gradually, like they can become separated where your awareness hmm. can step back from thinking. Yeah. And in that situation, it's like the sound of the of, of whatever it is could st- still be very attached to thinking in that moment because no, you have some automatic judgment or yeah. it can be uh, a possible like a facilitator of of uh shifting that awareness away from thinking mm-hmm. yeah exactly i think uh i i the last time when we meditated uh it was initially as soon as we got into the meditation uh, because the environment was comfortable uh, the envi- environment was serene. There was no sound, so the aware my awareness was able to separate itself from the thoughts. But this time, uh, maybe I'm so still attached to the environment around me uh-huh. uh, that I was not able to do that uh, as quickly as I was able to do it previously. So still, my uh-huh. awareness and my thoughts were like one. I was yeah. not able to have that separation from my thoughts and. Uh, make the thoughts my object and me becoming the observer of my thoughts Mm. and this also reminds me of uh, a book that we were reading I think we were reading it together the uh, autobiography of a yogi and in that book there is a wonderful story and uh, Paramahansa Yogananda always wanted to go to the Himalayas for meditating and uh, he always dreamt of eternal snow and, you know, that he's meditating in the Himalayas. But his master and his guru didn't let him go. And he said that is because you are too attached to the idea of the Himalayas, to the idea of having a wonderful environment for yourself, to have peace all around you. But he said that it is not about peace around you. It is about peace within yourself. And he said that even... If you can find a room in the city and just in that room sit and meditate, uh, I think that is uh, that is the exact surrounding that you need. Uh, you should have that capacity of even meditating in the crowd where there is a lot of noise, where the environment is not as you want it to be. Mm. So I, I think that's yeah. a beautiful story and it absolutely fits into our situation today. <laughs> yeah, I remember that. It was something... I... there was a question of like do you have a room where you can close the door yeah that is your himalayas and like there is no difference ultimately it's just a state of mind yeah 
Yeah, exactly. Have you ever done that? Have you ever meditated in public or in a place where there's a lot of commotion? Yes, yes, actually. Uh, and even uh, I have a talk here on Insight Timer. It's called uh, Meditating in the Crowd. So mm-hmm. this happened when I was listening to Osho and he was talking about people who meditate in the mountains. And it's in, in India, it's really common to uh, meditate in the mountains. So there are monks, there are yogis. and uh, But as soon as these people who meditate in the mountains, when they come into the city, they are like very disturbed. So Osho was like questioning and asking this question that what is the use of your meditation if you are so disturbed when you come to the city? So rather it's better to meditate in the city and then go to the mountains because then you will have practiced with something which is more challenging. Hmm. And so, yes, I did. I went to uh, this place in India, which is called Old Delhi uh, in the capital of the city, uh, in the capital of India. And Old Delhi is like really crowded. You know, there are in India, however, the, the population is so high. And in Delhi, in Old Delhi, like the population is very dense. So hmm. I went there and there was a lot of traffic. And just I sat in the corner and I tried to meditate. And I realized that my when I was able to let go of that, my attachment to the environment, my uh, meditation was beautiful, even in that crowd. Mm. Yeah, that was my experience. <laughs> what it's about you? It's a pretty you? amazing thing. I, I've done it a few times. And the I guess there's a really fascinating element to me to investigate if I'm engaging in meditation and then I notice that there's people around me because it's like my thinking mind goes into high alert and then 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 that becomes a really interesting object of awareness like what is it really that is happening here likely I'm in some way afraid of that person's judgment of me like what are they going to think about me I'm sitting here I look weird and that becomes then such a valuable thing to experience in the moment in Mm -hmm. a meditation practice versus that maybe being something that you might hope to be like an outgrowth or a manifestation of your practice where you no longer become so enwrapped in your concern about what what someone else is thinking about me. There you're like in the practice itself and feeling and experiencing it. And like, what really is the issue? This is likely someone that I'll never see again in my life. Uh, And, and even if I did, why would I be concerned? Because this is something that I actually is really important to me to to meditate. And it is important to the world now, you know, to meditate. It is it is so beautiful. And uh, so initially I would have that, uh, you know, the same feeling as yours that uh, that maybe the person who is looking at me is judging me. But I think now after the world, uh, you know, after this pandemic and now that the world values meditation much more than before, mm-hmm. uh, I think I kind of have come have that opposite effect in which there is an ego that I'm meditating. Mm. Uh, Yeah. So I'm kind of, uh, there is a kind of a little bit of show off, maybe what you can say that, okay, I'm meditating. Maybe someone will see me meditating and will also start meditating with that intention. But then I realized that that is also a part of the ego and uh, that is also, I have to let go of. Interesting. Yeah. So sort of like a flip side of the fear of judgment of actually the, so, and that being one form of like attachment to something and then this other possible attachment to an idea of like myself as a, as a cool meditator yeah, and yeah. that I'm going to, someone else is going to see me do this and it's going to impact their life. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. I think uh, we, uh, it is interesting to see these flip sides. 
depending yeah. on what is going on in your mind that's an interesting concept at large like the the identity of a meditator because like it seems to me like you likely run the same risk of any other attachment identity and yeah and there becomes this whole like world of maybe the same uh insidious things that played out in other ways just finding like co-opting the identity of a meditator to exactly. like do the same thing exactly and this reminds me of uh, you know a, a term that i came across and it was spiritual ego and uh, uh, the it i uh, i wrote an article on it and i think there's also a, a talk on insight timer on this mm-hmm. spiritual uh, the spiritual ego trap and i realized that they, we have different kinds of spiritual egos and i think one of them was today what i described about me uh, meditating in front of someone and uh, maybe having that thinking that this person will get that and this person will also start meditating so i realized that there were mainly three kinds of spiritual egos that we might have one is spiritual ego of the novice uh, mm-hmm. in which someone who is coming uh, who is just new to this idea of meditation spirituality and they want everybody the entire world to meditate you know the entire mm. world to become like really excited about it yeah yeah really excited about it and uh th- there might also be a certain level of uh ego in terms of trying to show off that okay i'm doing something great here and uh that is something i realized and that is something i even i had in the beginning when i you know got into meditation into spirituality and mm. i would talk to my friends who were like who were who were practicing religion i i talked to my friends and i wanted to tell them that uh spirituality is much better than religion and mm. you know i would have th- those heated discussions with them and but eventually i realized that this is just uh again an ego and again a uh, uh, attachment to this idea of uh, spirituality again a label mm-hmm. again a judgment of others mm-hmm. then i realized that the other kind of ego we have is uh the spiritual ego of the member in which a person is a part of an organization of a community mm. uh, and uh, you you know that you know there are communities in the world who even have uniforms now and who even like are closed communities and they would practice spirituality together but then there is a certain level of judgment of others so that is also something we can be you know very uh, cautious of of developing that uh, attachment to the community that we are belonging to and judging others and then the third ego that i realized was the spiritual ego of the guru in which a person who is uh, maybe has reached to a certain level uh, of you know understanding knowledge wisdom meditation and then they have this idea that uh, they have this responsibility of uplifting the world and they have to do it for everybody and there is a followership and there is a pride of that followership and i realized a guru might be a person who might not be uh, you know uh, an influencer who has a lot of followers that person might be a good marketer not a good guru but mm-hmm. a guru might be someone who is just having a very uh, down to earth and humble life maybe in the mountains who nobody you know nobody identifies that person but they are still a guru and they can teach you a lot So I think these were the kinds of spiritual egos that I realized. And uh, so the novice, the member and the guru. 
Mm-hmm. That's really interesting. Like to be a member, the first thing I think of is that like you're inherently creating something or some others that are not you. Yeah. yeah. Creating this sort of, there is some like implicit adversarial nature to that. Like we are this and that implies that there is the other that are not like us. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. What do you make of the, I guess the, the first thing when you're talking about the notion of the guru, I, I wonder if, do you think gurus consider themselves gurus? Um, I think it depends on uh, person to person. And I think now, especially now after this boom of uh, the spiritual industry and, you know, the, uh-huh. the meditation industry, there, there are a lot of people who have gained a lot of followership and who are, you know, quite big influencers. Uh, I think it depends from person to person. I have seen many people who uh, I, I believe, and this is again, not a judgment, but I believe that there is a followership and there is a sense of uh, kind of responsibility of transforming everybody and mm. uh, having that notion that, you know, uh, maybe, and I might be wrong about this, that maybe I am somewhat greater than my, my student or my follower. Huh. Yeah. That's interesting. Cause that almost, that makes me think of a uh, member but in a different way, like in order to be a guru, then I am some, in some way, like elevated above those that are not a guru. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And, but I have seen a lot of people who are also very, very uh, humble, very grounded. And uh, I, I, I was listening to Jack Confield one day and he said something about uh, uh, his teacher who was, I think, Ajahn Chah and, uh, he Jack Confield was told to uh, like give teachings to 300 people and this was his first time mm. and he, he asked his uh, teacher uh, Ajahn Chah that I have never spoken to such a big crowd and you know what what is the advice that you would want to give to me and he said that just keep in mind that it is not about the messenger it is about the message mm. and that was a wonderful statement because uh it, may, it, it makes me realize that even when I'm speaking to, to an audience, it is not about me and it is not about, you know, what I think, what I believe. It is just about the message that I'm giving. The, uh, I'm just like a hollow bamboo, which is channeling the message of the universe to the audience. So right. it is not about me. It is about the message and whoever gives that message, it doesn't, it doesn't matter. But sure. somehow, uh, because I think because of the pop culture and, you know, uh, the society, uh, the way the society has been, we also have this habit of idealizing someone as a guru. And uh, that, then it becomes about the messenger and not the message. Right. So, yeah, I think that was a powerful statement. What are your yeah. thoughts on that? Very, yeah, really powerful and like relieving of your, of maybe pressure that you might place on yourself to deliver something that could also just be another manifestation of like attachment to my identity versus the possibility of, you know, I have some relative access to this universal message. Mm -hmm. And as, as, as much as I can just get out of my own identified way, then the message will just come pouring out in the, in the unique way that will be expressed through me and my like conditioned self. Yeah. Um, I I really like that notion. Mm -hmm. I can also see there, 
there being something appealing about like having it be a particular person because i think this 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 underlying message thing is it's much less tangible it's much less uh you can't package it you can't say like this is what it is it, mm. and fit it into our like typical instrumental framework that we generally live in mm-hmm. and so to, to point to a person and say that is that's it like i can understand that appeal um, yeah because then it's like moving you away from what maybe a a genuine guru might do which is like noticing their desire to attach something to you and then like you know easily kind of shifting it back onto you yeah well actually you know what is the like helping you to find out the answer for yourself in the way that only you could yeah absolutely i think that's a wonderful uh, thing that you said and it is so important that uh, the guru actually helping the student to find the answers for themselves you know rather than uh, telling their ideas about spirituality about meditation or whatever because uh, uh i i realized that everybody have their own truth so what is true for you is not true for me mm-hmm. and uh, you know uh, and i think that is what uh, maybe is a distinction between religion and spirituality in which in religion you are actually uh, listening to someone else's message Mm. but in spirituality mm. i think what spirituality is about is to listen to your own message and to go within yourself to find the answers mm. so yes i think that is a wonderful trait of a guru to uh, let the student find the answers from themselves maybe just guide them to their own inner self and let them have the answers for themselves mm. which is like that notion of of pointing like my you know my teaching is a finger pointing at the moon but don't mistake my finger for the moon itself exactly it's just this, like that's, that's interesting that's a helpful way to think about spirituality versus religion in a way that i haven't really before mm-hmm. which is like religion could be you know creating a really fleshed out finger and yeah. then you could get potentially attached to the finger that's also not to disparage religion um but how spirituality might just be kind of like this constant you know guide guidance and pointers but saying like and don't don't mistake this for the like the the basic deepest message of what we're after here which is something that i can't give to you um or yeah. say or express but all of these things that we do can can point us in the direction of of feeling something yeah yeah because i uh, i think you also mentioned that and that we all have filters so if if there is a how i can see that is that if there is a universal uh, message coming and you know maybe it can come to us in the form of an intuition uh, or whatever but then there is a filter of my own rationality of my own conditioning and the message that is going out to you is going through that filter and you know it is adding then there is the limitation of language as well in which maybe i'm not able to explain the exact message that i'm receiving from the universe and maybe there is some uh preconceived notions that i have there are some beliefs that i have uh which are adding to that message and then that message that is going to the other person is kind of a distorted message which is not the exact you know uh message hmm. of the universe maybe hmm. which is like kind of a beautiful notion i guess what i'm thinking as you're describing that is like any human interaction 
yeah. can be a really spiritual practice where we're both kind of receiving this maybe this constant rush of of the universe or whatever it is that you want to call it that like source thing yeah and we may be more or less open to that source yeah. and then we have all of our filters that we can then attempt to like share that thing with yeah. another person that we're talking to and then use each other sort of as a spiritual practice and maybe yeah. notice how how much we're like actually pushing that thing away and are identified with our ego in some way and, yeah. and then, then how, how much we can come back to sharing something that's really like universally true through of course these symbolic tools that we have to to exchange words yeah um, exactly. so i was thinking that like how that's happening right now uh, yeah with with you and me in this moment <laughs> Exactly. I can see that happening totally because, uh, you know, even like, let's say my using these terms like the universe. So this is this, this term, the universe is not the exact representation of maybe what there is, you know, it is, it is just my idea of, uh, of how that message is coming through from where it is coming. My idea of something which is beyond the physical. Now, these are all words and these all limit the experience of, let's say the universe. Uh, a lot of people uh, also call this experience as God. So mm -hmm. it all comes from how we are conditioned in the past, you know, how we are, uh, what have been, we, what have we learned about spirituality? What have we learned from our religion, from our parents? And that is what uh, totally uh, brings into our message. And that is how the filter acts, you know? Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I'm just, I'm just sitting with that. Um, which is, it's cool to think about whatever brought us together to start mm. talking. And if you might call it the universe or God or, or whatever it might be. Mm. And then to use these opportunities to really maybe like kind of relish in whatever that is and share with each other in whatever that is. Um, yeah. I guess a really cool opportunity. Yeah. Are there, whoever's uh, listening to this, like I hope, that they might also feel whatever that thing is in themselves and, and whatever maybe name that thing is and, and get a sense of you and me feeling it together in this moment and that they can also tap into like exactly what that thing is. Cause I think that thing exists outside of time. It doesn't matter that we recorded this at a different time than when they're hearing it, like they're, they can also connect into exactly what it is that you and I are feeling right now on that basic wordless level. Yeah, exactly. And uh, this reminds me of a story, and I think it's a popular story. Um, it was, again, I was listening to Osho, and he was telling this story. And I do not remember this story exactly, but I think there was a student and there was a master. The master wanted the student, or the student had this desire of reaching enlightenment. And uh, so this master, they were sitting near a lake, and a frog jumped into the lake. And uh, the master asked uh, the student that what happened. So the student started telling that, okay, there was a frog, the frog jumped and, you know, uh, there was a sound generated. Then the master asked again, okay, now tell me what happened. So then the student, I think, kind of improved on that and said, okay, there was a frog, the frog jumped and the sound was like plop, plop. Mm. Then again, the 
master asked so at the end he reached uh, by keep uh, he was trying to not use words and maybe just tell the experience so at the end of it he was just uh making that sound plop plop you know so mm. the master said okay now you are close to uh having experience enlightenment having that experience yeah. because now <laughs> you are not limiting that experience with words you are maybe just telling but even that is not close because the experience was totally something different you are still uh describing it with a word with with this word plop you know <laughs> yeah yeah hmm. yeah because the words are several layers conceptually removed from that basic experience of the frog jumping into the water and then plop is something that maybe is a little bit closer but it still is like way removed from the actual experience of it yeah i i don't exactly remember what happened in the end but i think this was something mm-hmm. close to towards the end in which uh, the the student was just describing the experience rather than telling that okay there was a frog the frog was sitting and then the frog jumped into the uh, you know into the lake yeah yeah it's uh, that is how we uh, i think we that day we were we were also discussing about how uh, our language limits our experience and when two people are uh, sitting in front of each other and having that conversation they are uh, i think more focused on what words you know the other person is using and sometimes mm-hmm. we would get offended by those words sometimes we would get you know attracted by those words but w- uh, what we are missing out is the experience that we are having maybe we are miss- also missing out on the emotions that the other person is feeling right now or mm-hmm. you know we are also missing out on the energy between those two people which makes me think of like using e- each other for an ex- spiritual experience yeah um, that you can have in any interpersonal situation but i wonder if that might take a certain level of vulnerability that maybe not everyone is always open to mm. experiencing or being willing yeah. to be in a place of i don't know what's going to happen here where as like words provide so much structure and control but they also might keep us really kind of distant on this underlying more quote unquote spiritual level yeah um, but if you're feeling disconnected from other people it might be interesting to notice how much your interactions are based on that much more conceptual wavelength yeah. and if it is something that you actually do want to be more connected of seeing what it might be like to move beyond those concepts and like open up to what is actually really unfolding like right now in this moment with this other person like what yeah. am i feeling and experiencing what are they really experiencing right now yeah. outside of my idea about them and my idea about myself mm-hmm. or, or or what i think they think about me so mm-hmm. much of that mental noise and interference gets in the way i think of this sharing in what's actually unfolding right now which is so immense yeah. what's like really here in this moment yeah and you talked about vulnerability i think uh, uh it is uh, it is funny that how we use we have masks you know and we use language as a mask so someone who is maybe uh, experiencing deep fear because they want to present themselves as powerful so they would have a mask in which maybe they the they are using a strong voice and they are you know presenting a certain personality uh but i think the uh once we let go of these masks we are truly vulnerable at that time but it is as you said it is not you know an easy thing to do uh, to be vulnerable 
that requires a lot of inner strength inner power to just let the other person into yourself and see that what you are from the core rather than presenting that mask of language and strong personality and ego right yeah especially if we've had those experiences growing up that have like taught us to not be vulnerable if we've like been vulnerable and open to that and had some sort of negative interaction or trauma experience that might make it really hard to open back up to this thing but then that leads to potentially this vicious circle of not being vulnerable and then not getting that connection that we so desperately want that we've been wanting ever since maybe those experiences growing up that caused us to shut off to it yeah i think just uh, and staying in your shell not coming out of your shell because of that fear of getting hurt uh, mm. and getting maybe manipulated by someone else i think it's a, it's a wonderful topic and uh, we can have an entire session on this uh, on vulnerability someday yeah <laughs> yeah sounds good well i know you you talked about the idea of uh finishing our meetings by leading a meditation kind of based on what it was that we've been discussing what do you think about that yeah i think it's a good idea and uh today we talked about attachment and there is something that we can do on attachment uh, a meditation that is coming to my mind and maybe i'll just let it come out uh when we are in that state of meditation so we can begin now it sounds good so now i would request you to uh gradually just get into your comfortable posture and make sure that your back is straight uh, but is relaxed at the same time and you can gradually close your eyes and as you close your eyes you can bring your awareness to your body the presence of your body in your surroundings you can feel the weight of your body on the couch or on the chair and you can gradually move your awareness to your breath as you breathe in and out you can place your awareness on your nostrils and just notice the inflow and outflow of the breath
And let's now just be aware of our own masks and our attachment to those masks. There is a personality that we present to the world. There is a way that we, in which we speak. There are certain expressions that we have in front of others. Maybe even the smile on our face when we meet others. And for today's meditation, let's just be aware of these masks, if there are any. There is a pure awareness which is beyond these masks. Your true self. Just be aware of this awareness and at the same time be aware of the masks. And without any judgment, just acknowledge if there are any masks. We all have masks. And the idea today is just to be aware of them. Now you can gradually bring your awareness back to your body, to your surroundings. You can wiggle your toes and move your fingers. And in your own time, you can gradually come out of the meditation.
felt really honored to be a, a part of that experience. <clears throat> My pleasure, yeah. How was the experience for you? Yeah, really beautiful. I felt uh, it's like a felt like a shell, uh, like a shell on my outside, mm -hmm. but mostly on the front. And then something really um, expansive beyond that. That was just kind of a, a sensation that I kept coming back to. Um, mm -hmm. Something interestingly for me as well that relates back to what we talked about at the very beginning um, was hearing sounds in my own background, which mm -hmm. like was my dog, my dog barking. I don't know whether or not you could hear that. No, I couldn't. Uh, which is so interesting because then I have my own, you know, version of the experience you were describing at the beginning, which was, mm -hmm. you know, the the attached hoping that that isn't taking away from yeah. this experience. Mm -hmm. um, when ultimately it's really, I mean, a you don't know if anyone is even hearing it, but b it's very much so just a part of this unfolding experience and is no different from it at all uh -huh. uh, and so that was like kind of a valuable experience for me to notice and then come back to like that's just a part of all of this unfolding yeah and i'm glad we talked about it in the beginning of the meditation so you could actually experience it towards yeah. the end of the meditation so the end of the session today <laughs> yeah what was it like for you guiding it uh it was great it was uh Sometimes I have this challenge of uh, guiding and doing the same thing myself, uh, mm. doing this guided meditation. But now there is, uh, uh, I have to do two things at a time in which I'm speaking and I'm in which I'm also meditating. So initially that had, that was really challenging for me. Uh, mm. But now gradually I'm kind of, as I start meditating with the listeners, I am able to just let go of that speaking for a while when I'm meditating and then come back to speaking and then let go of it and then come back. Yeah, which still makes me think of the, the messenger and the message, like yes. getting in the meditative state and noticing your like attachment or identity with the messenger and then yes. continually letting go. And then the message just like probably... I'm guessing naturally just flows with no effort whatsoever. And it just comes yeah. out like in the way that it should. Yeah. I think that messenger comes uh, in as soon as you have to speak <laughs> because uh, right. the uh, it's, it's uh, really difficult at that time to uh, separate the messenger from, from that speaking, maybe, you know, a great state to be is in when you are not having that ego of, in, of a messenger and still you are speaking. Maybe that speaking is, coming from something beyond and there is no uh, ego and you know that idea of being a messenger yeah which i think uh, is like an awesome way for us to wrap up this meeting because it mm. feels to me like that's really what we're both kind of after which yeah. is getting as close to just like having an experience of communion of the message without yeah. getting <laughs> attached in the messenger and yeah. how it's, as you said, it's like implicit with talking and like I'm thinking of things and then I'm having to put them into words. And there's so much like identity and attachment that is caught up in me as Charles, the messenger. Mm -hmm. And then we're kind of using this as a place to experiment and explore with noticing that, letting go of it and just coming back to like sharing in the message yeah. outside of Charles and, and Sakib. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. I think that is what 
uh, I totally, this is something we can, uh, uh, you know, also work on in our upcoming sessions and that yeah. uh, just being the messenger and maybe just leaving that identity out and kind of becoming a channel, a hollow bamboo through which that message flows to, yeah. to the audience. Yeah. What a valuable practice for us to both have. Yes, absolutely. Continue to, to work with. Yeah. Yeah, it's beautiful that we can uh, talk about these things and at the same time work, work on ourselves during these podcasts. Uh, mm. Beautiful, yeah. I'm really excited and looking forward to it. Me too. Well, sounds good. I'll see you here next time. Yeah, see you soon. <laughs>